The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Again today we're coming from our Cork studio at the Republic of Work. It's a beautiful day here in Cork today and it's a real sign. We're here in the South Mall which is in city centre location and walking around for the last hour or so, Oliver Plunkett Street, all the side streets, all of the bars and coffee shops have their seats outside. Cork is buzzing with the number of people who are around the place today. Uh, It's amazing to think that apparently the government is only going to allow up until next November that there will be outside dining continuing and then apparently it's going to be removed. There mightn't be too much fuss during the winter months but surely it is added to Cork City and Dublin City Centre and other locations that we have pedestrianised streets and that we have outside dining and drinking. It's great. Deirdre Shocknessy is with us, news editor of the Irish Examiner, Michael Foley, sports writer with the Sunday Times, both Cork residents. Deirdre, it has added to Cork City. Oh, it? it has, absolutely. I mean, the visionaries down um, down around the South Mall and uh, who kind of started this last year, Claire Nash and uh, Monty, as we know him, the owner of Verdens, Paul Montgomery, and other people involved on in that street, they just decided, right, we have to do something about this. And they set up the umbrellas and the people came. And, you know, it was kind of, once it was there, you were like, why was this not always here? You know, it just made no sense. Um, a note to the idea that it's going to be taken away. Cork won't take it away. Whatever about nationally, Dublin, look, you can do whatever you want up there, but it's not leaving in Cork. That's it. Um, it's it's there to stay, I think. Like, if you walk around, I was, I was walking around earlier myself and I had my kids in town and uh, we took them for sushi and we edited on a bench. I was like, we could be anywhere in the world, except the seagulls are feral. So there is that. <laughs> and the crows, they're kind of fighting. But no, it's great. It's a great atmosphere. The only thing surprising today, Michael Foley, and you've been a victim of it and you just got here with a skin of your teeth. I didn't expect to see so much traffic around Cork City. Yeah, I know. I think the skin of my teeth are still out in the hall, actually. <laughs> They'll be catching up with me in a minute. Yeah, it's a bit mental. Um, yeah, it is. It is. But it's funny, like last year when they started kind of, you know, pedestrianising Cork City and you were running around, I, I live in McCroom and we would come into the city and, you know, all this outdoor dining was happening. And as, as Deirdre said, it was fantastic. I know at that stage you didn't have the traffic, mm. but now you have that mix of traffic. Um, and even, even in, a, you know, a, a rural town like McCroom, like they they removed a lot of parking spaces last year and made outdoor dining areas insofar as they were used, you know. But it was a great it was great to see it. McCroom actually did a lovely job. The square was all done. It was yeah. beautiful. There's lots of parts of the country. Killarney is another place where they ex- widened yeah. the footpaths as yeah. well to allow for the outdoor furniture to go into place as well. Yeah. And it's added enormously. And Absolutely. they did actually for a while, I think, pedestrianise more streets in Killarney and then to the locals' frustrations opened them up to cars again. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know where the car lobby is coming from that's causing that to happen. Like, I don't actually know who's pressing for it. Yeah. Um, it it's a funny one. Like, there's a lot of um, sort of um, the, the phone and radio effect maybe some places where it's sort of the three people shouting about it and that's where it comes from. But I, I don't think in Cork that argument is going to win. I think people have realised, actually, this is a really beneficial thing. It'll be interesting to see how the Capel Street effect works. Mm. I mean, that this started today. Dublin, yes. Yeah, the pedestrianisation of Capel Street, which yeah. I think they're reviewing in July and again in September. Just listen to some of the stuff this morning. I mean, the common sense. Having walked through Capel Street last summer, yeah. when it was pretty vibrant, you know, of an evening, it looked like a good idea to me. Um, but, you know, there was a couple of local business people complaining that the lack of traffic through. But I couldn't even understand. How is the lack of traffic going to bother retail? This Surely it'll it. improve retail. Yeah. It'll allow people to walk up and down and actually loll along and kind of look and see. And Well, all the evidence you know? does show that people who are either walking or cycling are inclined to spend more. Anyone who's driving is going in for a purpose and leaving again. Exactly. You know, there's there's a whole, you're more likely to be hanging around if you're, if you're, um, 
um, travelling in other ways. So hopefully they'll see sense. Look, there's a less positive Cork story I want to ask you about, mm. Deirdre, because I know this is one that in the Irish Examiner that you have covered. Uh, Cork shops stopping the sale of goods in foil wrapping mm. because of then subsequent use for drug taking. Tell us about this. Yeah, this actually dovetails quite well with the outdoor dining thing because one of the big concerns about outdoor dining at the beginning was um, the level of incidents on the street. Um, you had a bit of begging and you had a bit of antisocial behaviour and obviously that can be largely tied in with addiction. Um, so a shop in Barrack Street in Cork City, so people who went to UCC will know Barrack Street very well. Um, very close to here. Very close to here. And uh, Dennis Welch and Centra, uh, they removed animal bars from the shelves of the shop and the initial sign that went up um, um, on the shop said by order of the Gardaí but of course when, when my colleague Owen English went investigating the guards didn't actually technically ask them to take it off the shelf <laughs> I think they put by order of the Gardaí to sort of strengthen the argument of no we will not sell you an animal bar uh, because when we contacted the guards they said no th- you know, it wasn't us but the reason is they've been having this problem with people coming in and they're, they're buying things or stealing things with tinfoil on them um, in order to use them for drug taking um, now obviously stopping selling animal bars is not going to do anything about the heroin problem but there's the foil wrapping will be used for things like sandwiches or it used to be. Yeah, it used to be, but if you notice, that's changed actually that the last few years. Like this is a, it is a long running thing. You will find that most city centre shops actually won't sell you a roll of tinfoil either for the same reason. Um, but of course, you're not going in looking for tinfoil normally at your lunchtime from work. So it's um, it has been a problem over time. Like we, I think when we were discussing this story, we had covered another story a few years ago um, about tinfoil. Like a lot mm. of them had stopped stocking it for that reason. So it's, yeah, it's an ongoing problem. I mean, heroin has been an issue in Cork now for I mean, t- at least 20 years long and it um, like over the last few years I would say probably during Covid there were a lot of people off the streets in terms of um, you know there were beds found for people and rooms found for people but a lot of the drug treatment programmes were full obviously because people were moving through them so there is an issue there and I think it probably was hidden a little bit by Covid uh, and I have noticed even today I did see some homeless people who were lot. on the streets quite a lot around yeah and actually during lockdown you would have noticed it because you know you could see them you wouldn't ordinarily see them it's probably it is a bit of a COVID legacy, you know. Mm. I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, goes without saying almost that, you know, you would have the height of sympathy for, addi- for addicts and there is obviously an awful lot of work socially and governmentally to do in terms of helping those, those in addiction issues and so mm. on and so forth. But, you know, I mean, in Dublin, I can, again, I remember being in Dublin in the, at the height of the lockdown for some reason or other and the place was, was empty. But, I mean, you know, there was drug, open drug use in the streets. Um, yeah. Guys were preparing and, and consuming drugs um, in, in, in areas where you wouldn't have seen it before. Mm. Um, I was actually, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago um, covering the Katie Taylor fight and I was talking to somebody who works in Madison Square Garden which is there in midtown Manhattan and she goes in and out to work there every day and she was a very, a much obviously on a much magnified scale but similar enough in the sense that when the city emptied they put homeless people and people with addiction issues and so on and so forth into hotels and various places in the city to take care of them but when that ended, they're now all on the streets. Mm. And there is, I mean, absolutely, she, she would say that going in and out to work in Madison Square Garden is a lot more sketchy than it used to be at one point. More intimidating, yeah. um, which I think is an issue on a smaller scale, obviously, to New York, that, that you'd probably find in a lot of cities and probably, you know, it's again, it speaks to that kind of post-COVID legacy that we need to address as well. Yeah. Okay, you've managed to bring up boxing and, of course, you're a sports journalist and you were there for the Katie Taylor fight. Mm. So tell us about our new boxing world champions. Fantastic. Like... Half an hour yesterday, just an incredible half an hour in Irish sport, you know. Amy Broadhurst and uh, Lisa O'Rourke winning 
world amateur gold medals uh, in their respective weight divisions in the space of half literally one fight after the other um, I watched it myself on YouTube yesterday and it was just incredible uh, so fantastic I mean people people kind of compared it to Michael Carruth and Wayne McCullough winning their Olympic medals in 92 in the space of half an hour I remember like there was that there's also Pat Callaghan and Bob Tisdall way 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 back in the Olympics who won their 1924 and 28 28 or 32 but one of the, the, the Los Angeles games anyway where they both won gold medals in the space of half an hour as well one in the hammer and one in the 400 metres hurdles um, but it was just this it was this extraordinary moment um, for Irish sport a pity it couldn't be shared on a wider level we'll say in terms of live television and so on and so forth but that's probably another debate Amy Broadhurst would be in the same weight category as Kelly Harrington so for the last couple of years she's kind of slightly been you know I, would, I don't think it's unfair to say she's been in Kelly's shadow a little bit Kelly mm. was injured for these world championships so Amy was able to step in now she, she boxed at a slightly higher weight category than normal she'd normally be at 60 kgs uh, she was at 63 for this but she won it quite comfortably in the end Lisa O'Rourke it's just an incredible. She's she's just turned twenty, um, a real phenomenon. She won she won European under twenty two uh, medals recently. Uh, was looked on as a prospect for the future, and so she comes out and wins the world title at her first her first world championships. Incredible. Deirdre, do you like boxing? I don't. I'm really squeamish now. I'm not a huge sports fan anyway. So me not liking boxing is irrelevant to everything about the world of boxing. So would you? How do you feel? There's. I would say that I'm not particularly interested in men's boxing, mm. let alone women's boxing. Yeah. You know, I don't like the idea of anyone boxing the head off anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I prefer games where there's a ball involved, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> Rather than people thumping well, each other. there's a fair bit of boxing in Gaelic football and hurling, yeah. depending on the match you watch as well. Imagine. Give me something yeah. like tennis where there's just no contact at all. <laughs> yeah, no you know, I'd, I'd prefer that. I just, I, I hate hearing have that you never been, You've never been hit by a tennis ball, hit directly, deliberately at you? But not for a long time. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while. I've kind of, I've blocked that out. Um, no, anything with a stick where you can kind of keep away from people um, <laughs> hurling fine um, no I just I find it I find it really brutal and I I just don't um, I, I can't watch it I can't bear to watch it like I think um, Katie Taylor and Kelly Kelly Harrington Amy Broadhurst Lisa Work. I mean amazing fair play to them it's a huge achievement no matter you know no matter what the sport is it's still a huge achievement to win a world championship in anything but personally I just I, I can't really reconcile um, people getting beaten up Michael, for money can you understand that? Like it. Uh, absolutely Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's completely understandable. Um, what I like about boxing, um, male or female, particularly at the highest level, is just, well, the skill, first of all, the athleticism, the grace mm. that you can see in the boxers and the way they move and the way they evade. Sometimes people think that boxing is all about hitting the other guy. Now, of course, obviously it is, but an awful lot of it is about avoiding getting hit yes. yourself. Yeah. So there's an awful lot of that. There's also just the, the, the human sacrifice that's involved. Um, and, you know, I had this debate actually with somebody recently after the Katie Taylor thing. People were saying, oh gosh, I'm a bit squeamish about women fighting and all this kind of stuff, right? Mm. And, like My view is, if you don't like boxing, that's fine. But you shouldn't not like female boxing because it's two women fighting each other. Yeah. That's the that's yeah, the dividing that's why I'm saying me. I don't particularly like watching men. Yeah, well, that's fine. Either. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's just that's exactly that's yeah. like me saying I don't like Formula One. Which yeah, I, don't. I don't like it yeah. either. Like There's definitely no balls involved in that. It's just faster traffic than what's okay. The only thing I like about Formula One is the sound of it. It's really, really, it's a really nice sound That's in the background. <laughs> okay, listener comments to 0874100102, your last word. Don't forget that Waterford City Centre has been largely pedestrianised, mm. shared space yeah. since before the pandemic. It's the best approach to city life. But another listener makes a very valid point, and this is a topic we have covered on the programme previously. It has been a great idea, but it has hindered wheelchair users and blind people 
people yeah. and that is a valid point as well we've lots more to get through in the week trending uh, with Michael Foley and Deirdre O'Shaughnessy here from our Cork studio at Republic of Work and we're going to be looking at prejudice in sport in relation to homosexuality in particular and the rise of hooliganism again in English football when we come back The Last Word with Matt Cooper Today FM It all happens here as we're in our Cork studio at Republic of Works, we have two Cork-based journalists, Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, news editor of the Irish Examiner, Michael Foley, sports writer with the Sunday Times with us. And Deirdre, whoever would have thought that Brexit, which of course we'll be back to after five o'clock in the programme with Michal Martin in Belfast today, that Brexit would only affect a few farmers with turnips in the backs of their trucks. Well... Uh, not me for one because we're we're not even a big exporter of turnips, Matt. This is the, the bit that is the most injurious is of the whole Is that because that's all we eat? Is um, that between that, that be, between, I mean, We don't have potatoes available <laughs> for us when Preeti Patel well, hasn't starved us out of the potatoes. Exactly, yeah. If she'd had her way we wouldn't have had anything. Um, yeah, no, apparently our sum total of, uh, of of root vegetable exports, so turnips, carrots, beetroot, radishes and celeriac was only $1.19 million in 2020. So we're not even big turnip growers. I mean, what was she on about? I just, it, it, do you know what? It's Stereo- just the Typical thing. nonsense from British yeah, politicians. And like when they Ireland. get the stereotypes wrong, even like if she'd said potatoes, I would have kind of gone, oh, okay, right, potatoes. Tur- like turnips, what was that even about? No, I just think like the whole, ever since the whole Brexit process has begun, it sort of has confirmed so many suspicions that Irish people would have had previously about the Brits and how they look at us, um, that we would have always felt ourselves was prejudicial. So we were sort of going, oh, the Brits, oh, they think we're whatever. No, don't say that because we're all friends now, you know, Good Friday Agreement. All well, the not only of... that, actually, because I but was thinking that. when I was passing it earlier, passing the English market earlier, mm. I was walking down here, and it's only a decade ago when Queen Elizabeth yeah. and her husband, the late Prince Philip, came here, and there was a really good relationship between between the two countries yeah. and now it seems that this native nationalism of Boris Johnson and his cronies has resurfaced and there just seems to be prejudice in everything that they have about every other country Ireland included mm. Yeah I think we're just part of a we're part of a process here but like you know I mean the thing that strikes me is that you know you have to consider you know how often do British people even think of Ireland in the first place mm. so if they do think of Ireland in the first place it's for some strategic reason more than likely so she says this for a reason you know I mean you look at mm. who she was Talk, speaking to at the time in the States, it was it was an audience that would have sort of, uh, you know, for want of a better expression, that might is right here. She was speaking to her own, her own people almost, yeah. you know. Um, and I mean, in terms of sort of, you know, the, the language around Ireland with, between Pretty Patel, Liz Truss, I mean, it, it reminds me, any time I see this stuff, and I include the Michael Gove stuff last week and he was, when he was, you know, putting on accents and stuff like that in a very just disastrously bad way condescending it manner. looked disastrously bad but I think it all feeds into this chaos theory that they live on anyway yeah. I remember seeing a thing with Boris Johnson before he was Prime Minister at all and he was talking about chaos in the media and how you use chaos in politics and essentially the whole idea from his point of view was well you just throw so much stuff out there that people just know where to look Yeah, you just keep distracting just people. keep distracting people from the issues here yeah. I mean it's the only way he stayed in power is by just throwing issues on top of issues and you kind of go well which is the worst thing here I can't even focus yeah. and, that's, and that's from a media point of view and that translates to the public and it's the same thing here she's just you know it's just a use of Ireland and a use of turnips the poor old turnip like I mean <laughs> what the turnip ever did to anybody apart from being a perfectly fine side when you're having bacon and now it's been pulled into a kind of an international incident I mean I think that's unfair to the turnip first well, you're posh you take uh, turnip instead of cabbage with your bacon I take it? both Matt <laughs> I take more I, I, I take both I, I don't scrimp back from anything when it comes to bacon <laughs> OK this week there was a 17 year old footballer in England who plays with Blackpool called Jake Daniels who got an enormous amount of publicity when he came out as gay. 
I suppose, Deirdre, a lot of people are wondering, have we not progressed to the stage where a sports person identifying as gay is is a news story? I kind of thought the same thing when I saw it first because, I mean, in the GAA we've had a quite uh, quite a number of high-profile gay players. Um, I think less so in rugby and I know in the Premiership it does seem to be particularly an issue. But I think a lot of that is an issue with sort of the whole um, image around Premiership football and football in the UK particularly. Like, it's so, and I hate to throw in the phrase toxic masculinity into nearly every debate, but there is an issue there around image and toxic masculinity and what makes a man. And there's a whole gender issue in soccer there anyway so I think that feeds into um, people who are different in kind of various different ways but particularly as regards sexuality are just not comfortable here. I mean I suppose one of the things that, that struck me about it as well is that you know being a gay footballer actually would be injurious to your career if they're having things like the World Cup in a country where it's illegal to be gay. I mean, a basic, a fundamental point of your employer and the organisation that you work for, should, they should be supportive of everybody. How supportive is it is, is if you're not actually allowed to live and be yourself in the country where they're holding the biggest tournament that you could potentially hope to ever play in? So there's there's a whole systematic problem there from the top down in football. Um, and it, it just, every time somebody comes out and makes another story about this because there have been other players over the years who have come out well, after they finished playing well, I think, yeah, there? Very few. Very few. In, in soccer, specifically in yeah. soccer, you're really probably talking Two certain, or three? Well, well, certainly in English football you're talking nearly 30 odd years between yeah. the la- between Justin Fashion, let's say in the early 80s and, and Jake Daniel. No, I can't think of anybody else. Not um, in football and I think even in rugby wasn't it Gareth Thomas came out after he'd retired. That's right. That's right. And like, there was a referee, Nigel. Nigel Owens. No, he's still refereeing, and he's, and he's yes, he he openly came out well into into his career. So yeah. he has been very much a sort of a lone figure in rugby that I can think uh, of, Michael. I, yes, I, I think you, you do have a. a is there a gay international rugby? There's a gay World Cup, so I think there's there a, are gay rugby there teams. Are, there are gay rugby hmm. teams, but in terms of yeah, in terms of you know, but we're talking about a specific segregation. Uh, yeah, then, exactly. Well, that's, yeah. And, and, and that's and that's another issue. Well. I mean, you know, in terms of GA, then as you say, you, know, you, you have Don Logue, Cusack, obviously, uh, David Goff, the referee. Mm. Um, You've quite a few female players in GA. Well, you do, but it's interesting. Even Ashling Mar, the Dublin Camogie player, was talking during the week at something about this and about the whole how much more comfortable. In women's sport, it's, it's mm. not an issue at all. Yeah. It's just not an issue. And I think it goes back to what you said there, Deirdre, about there's a touch of toxic masculinity mm. and, you know, that sort of alpha male sort of thing that goes on in football. Um, I mean, and and you mentioned about the World Cup and Qatar, obviously, hosting the World Cup and homosexuality being banned there. Paris Saint-Germain uh, wore rainbow rainbow insignia on their jersey at a match there recently despite the ownership of despite the, the ownership and the interesting thing about that was also you, you had a Senegalese player who withdrew from that particular game for personal reasons it was reported it's been reported since by the BBC and other media outlets that he actually withdrew because he wouldn't wear the, the rainbow uh, insignia mm. uh, in Senegal homosexual, homosexuality is banned and he got pl- a lot of support online for that and from fellow players to the point that actually I think there was a it, it was a it was a hashtag in French, but it essentially uh, it translated as "I love uh, Idrissa." Idrissa Gaye was the player, and it was the it was the highest trending hashtag on Twitter in the world during the week. I think it was yeah. Tuesday. So, what does that um, say? It says that we have an issue. Clearly, yeah. number one. Number two, it says that you're going to have global issues, as you mentioned in relation to Qatar. You're going to have it goes. It's it's not just an individual in the dressing room issue. This is. 
this is socio-cultural, this is religious, this is, this is across the board. This isn't just a football issue. This yeah. is an issue in the wider community. And until you can create that level of understanding and appreciation of people's rights and people's, you know, rights... Well, what about, sorry, and I'm, I'm almost loath to bring this up, but Georgia, what mm-hmm. about a player's right to say, well, if that's something he genuinely believes he doesn't want to support, he has a right not to do so? In a way, and I'll just use... A different example, James McLean doesn't want to wear the yeah, poppy yeah. Um, when he's playing English football. Yeah, well, I suppose that's the difference between, um, you know, that's a political belief, whereas you're talking about equality and fun- yeah. fundamental rights of somebody. And we're in the Western world where that has been accepted as a fundamental right of somebody to be the sexuality that they are. Sorry, if you don't like it, that's that's just the way it is. I mean, Football is interesting because it is so international. Like so we were talking about rugby. Yeah. Rugby's not global. I mean, you don't have people in Senegal playing rugby, or if there are, there's very few of them. Um, there's, there's so, there are so many countries where football is big, where homosexuality is not big, or officially yeah. not big. And like, I do think that Western countries, um, you know, if we're going to say, if we're going to pay lip service to things like rainbow outfits and all the rest of it, then why is the World Cup in a country where it's illegal? Like, you can't have it both ways. And that's even before you come across all the human rights abuses in relation to people dying in the construction exactly. of the stadia oh, and the facilities. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is rotten. But, yeah. yeah, it is. But isn't the danger, Michael, we're still going to watch all the games and effectively that becomes we effectively participate in their sports washing. Yes, to a, to a degree, yes. But I think to be, fa- to be fair, I think it operates. I, I mean, there is, there, you have a choice whether you want to watch or not. Abs- absolutely, no question about it. Personally, for me, I'm going to find it very, very hard to watch that World Cup. Mm. Um, and I'm at an age, my kids are at an age where they're really, really into football. And, you know, the television is going to be on and the games are going to be on. But I'm going to feel very uneasy about it. But we could say that about a lot of, a lot of other sporting events down the years as well. Olympics come to mind, various different Olympics that should not have been in the country there. But it is a very difficult thing. But I say again, you know, it is a, it is a wider socio-cultural issue. Mm. Um, from the point of view of that, I think, you know, we live, we live in, we, even, even if it is part of your religion, that homosexuality is just something that you abhor. Surely it's also part of your religion that you live in, in, in common goodness with the person beside you. So there must be, you know, there are areas, there are areas where both can live in, in common without, without it diluting your own personal religious beliefs or, or social beliefs. Yeah. We have to stop there. I had lots of other things I wanted to get to talk to you about and I'd love to because you've been great company. Deirdre Shocknessy, news editor of the Irish Examiner, Michael Foley, sports writer with the Sunday Times. Thank you both very much for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here.